views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Gwen and Mercy Academy High School, Sisters of Mercy, or any related affiliate. Attention alumni and students. You're all invited to join the exclusive Facebook group, the Babysitting Circle of Mercy. This group is private to our Gwened community for all alumni and students to connect in order to find babysitting jobs and find babysitters. Welcome back to the Monarch Impact Podcast. My name is Erin Remal Clements, and I'm a member of the class of 2012 and Gwened's Director of Alumni Engagement. I'm Melania Shai, a sophomore at Gwened. And I'm Angelina Splendido, and I'm a junior at Gwened Mercy Academy. And today, we are interviewing Jessica Azar Thornton, who graduated from Gwened Mercy Academy High School in 2003. She received her undergraduate degree in commission from the Coast Guard Academy in 2007 and her first master's degree from Pennsylvania State University in 2017. Currently, Lieutenant Commander Thornton is on detached duty for Coast Guard Headquarters Office of Marine Environmental Response and has over 15 years of emergency disaster and environmental response experience. She served as the executive officer of the Gulf Strike Team and oversaw operations, maintenance, and team readiness in support of the unit's mission areas, such as significant environmental threats, natural disasters, and other emergencies under the National Contingency Plan and National Response Framework. She recently completed an advanced education program sponsored by the Coast Guard to earn a Master's of Science in Environmental Science and Policy. She's a qualified Type 2 Incident Commander and Type 1 Operations Section Chief under the National Incident Management System, as well as a Federal On-Scene Coordinator Representative, National Strike Force Response Officer, and Search and Rescue Mission Coordinator. Welcome, Jessica. All right, so... Going off of our first question, what made you choose Gwinnett for high school? Um, so I went to Our Lady of Mount Carmel for grade school in Doylestown, and there were 14 girls from my class that were going into Gwinnett. We had a, a big chunk. So it was very much kind of um, a natural progression, but I think more important than that, Gwinnett had a reputation for having such an outstanding education. And my dad immigrated to the country uh, from the Middle East, and he really believed that the reason he was able to change his life was because of his own education. And he felt like the two things that were so important in life were health and education. And, and health isn't always in your control. So while you are healthy, be grateful for it. But education's is within your control. And when you have the opportunities to advance your education, um, go after it, keep learning, never stop learning, and just getting the best education possible was so important to him. So he he was a big proponent of, of supporting me going to Gwinnett. And then my mom also went to Gwinnett for college. So she knew of the quality education of the Gwinnett family. So um, it was something that my parents wanted to do for me to look out for me and, and get me on a good path and, and have a good future. And um, I'm so grateful they did. It was a wonderful, wonderful high school experience. That's wonderful. Yeah, I think it's very important to have a strong education, especially when you have the opportunities. So yes. going to Gwinnett and having such a strong education isn't the only thing that's here. So we have so many clubs and sports. And did any of them influence you in your passions and your careers? Yes, very much so. Um, and there are so many different ways I could answer this. Um, the I, I really struggled academically um, to get good grades and to balance everything. And uh, academics, good grades is not something that came very natural naturally to me. So I was I was a pretty average student. I didn't have a great GPA. I didn't get great SAT scores. I took the SATs and ACTs list something like 10 times like I just <laughs> kept trying to get you know higher scores and um, I knew that was a weakness so clubs and sports not only provided an avenue for me to help with my own mental well-being as sort of a release and uh, a way to find my people um, and support network but it also helped um, through like just grit, you know, like if I, if I do more or if I experience things or if I try new things or I do, you know, I, I do all these different things, I'll be able to pad my resume. Um, and, and I think that helped me in a lot of ways. And it, and it just, you know, I, 
I was very lucky to be part of, of a couple great clubs and a couple great sports teams, and it absolutely helped me out so much in high school. And when did you start playing rugby? I started, I had a couple friends that went to CB East and, and in Doylestown, and um, they played on the youth men's rugby team. And they said, you know, Jess, we think you should come out and play. You'd really like it. So I was a sophomore at Gwynedd and I went out and interestingly, they practiced and played on the field right across the street from where my dad lived at the time. So I came out, I watched a couple games. It's this sport where you go into beast mode and you run around <laughs> and you tackle people and you know you're you lift people in the air on a line out and scoring a try and tackling and rucking and it's like such a fun sport but it's the kind of sport where after the game ends like both teams hang out have a have a cookout like it's such a community type sport as well uh, and I just fell in love with it right away. So my junior year of high school, I played for the Doylestown Dragons youth girls rugby team. And uh, I was always kind of, again, an average athlete. You know, I struggled with hand-eye coordination. I tried almost every sport. Um, the only other sport I did that really clicked for me was horseback riding. But I got kind of priced out because it's yeah. the, the old yes, yeah. very expensive. So it was hard to stick with that um, with not having enough money to have my own horse. So rugby was a way uh, where I found a sport where you didn't need to have good hand-eye coordination because your targets were much bigger. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, my target was another human and that was easy for me. So um, it was also a way I could readapt myself where like I stepped on the rugby pitch and there was something about being able to go into beast mode you know that was so much fun and it was such a release and it it was just so great to be part of that world and 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 community and it it really saved me in a lot of ways and then had no idea at the time how many door doors to survival it would help me out with at the Coast Guard Academy um, by by being part of that that world so I can't say enough good things about the sport that's really cool um so diverting to a different topic did your years on student council prepare you for your life at, after Gwynedd uh yes absolutely um in in a lot of ways it did I think something that is so cool about Gwynedd and something that kept coming to my mind as I was preparing for this uh, podcast is that Gwynedd was such a safe space. Gwynedd, I mean, I, I remember feeling in elementary school, grade school, middle school, you know, like such a loser, so out of place, you know, never really fitting in, not wanting to ever do anything like that. And then I get to Gwynedd and it's, you know, all girls, small classes, everybody knows each other, everybody looks out for each other. And I remember thinking, like, ha never had I mentioned wanting to be on student council to my parents, but freshman year at, at Gwynedd and the opportunity came up to run for student council. And I thought, why shouldn't I, you know, like, it just Gwynedd opened up these opportunities to um, embed service and embed leadership. And I don't think I would have taken those opportunities if I had gone to a big high school. I think um, I'm I'm very much part introvert and part extrovert. I'm right on the line. So I think the introvert would have won at a big high school. And I feel so lucky that I got to grow in such a safe space like Wanted so that I felt comfortable trying new things. And you ended up being the president of the school, yes. right? My senior year. Yes, I I was. I um I had a really funny uh campaign video. I um my mom helped me out so much. There used to be there was a Dave Matthews music video that came out at the time <laughs> of a guy walking around um hugging a bunch of people, and I my campaign video was walking around Doylestown hugging a bunch of strangers, and. Uh, <laughs> And, you know, like we did this whole campaign video and, and it was a lot of fun. And uh, I was very fortunate that I got voted in as, as school president. It was a great experience. Um, I think any leadership opportunity 
if if that's if you want to be some sort of leader when you grow up or in your career or in your community um anytime you have a leadership opportunity go for it because it's something that has to be learned through experience and it has to be learned through taking getting operational experience like getting out there doing things being with people, putting yourself in situations that make you feel uncomfortable so you grow. Um, so so student council definitely helped. I totally agree. Yeah. Awesome. And um, did your involvement in ministry and service and CSC at Gwinnett lead to what you want to continue serving your country? Yes, absolutely. I think um, I said earlier, but Gwinnett was that community that just wanted to embed in all students. Um, you know, leadership opportunities and and service was underlying in in everything we did and learned uh, service in some capacity. And I truly feel like wanting to add value um, everywhere we've lived um, ever since I was in high school throughout my whole career, um, adding value, giving back to the country, serving the country, volunteering at various organizations um, at, at every place I've lived. I just feel like that's so important. And I, I learned a lot of that importance at Gwinnett. Absolutely. I think, yeah, the, the impact that just like this culture of service has, you know, to us, I think all of us as current and former students here, like it's just a given, you know, of course yeah. we're going to be giving back. Of course we're going to be helping other people. And um, yeah. it's easy to forget that that's not necessarily how everybody else lives their lives. Exactly. Yeah. And, and speaking of kind of uh, being of service uh, the, the community, as you mentioned, feels like home here. I mean, it is small, it is, you know, very tight knit um, and the teachers here and other, you know, coaches, faculty members um, really do you get to know them very well. And also yeah. like it becomes, you know, a very close relationship that you wouldn't get in a, maybe in a bigger school. Um, were there any teachers or anybody that you uh, feel like particularly had a big impact on you and, and kind of throughout your time here? Oh my gosh, yes. I could probably talk for the rest of the podcast on this subject. <laughs> um, there were, oh, I had so many um, great people looking out for me. Um, Mrs. Batisto and Mrs. Herman, um, were the two that really changed the course of my life. Um, and there's this really long story about how um, I didn't get into, like my whole goal throughout all of high school was to just get into a service academy. And I um, I wanted to go to one of the summer seminars because at the time it was said, if you got into a service academy summer seminar, which is their one week high school program, um, it ups your chances for, for getting into the actual academy. So I wanted to go to the Air Force Academy or Naval Academy because I wanted to fly. And I tried to get in their summer seminars and I had an Air Force colonel come to my house to interview me as, as part of the application process. And she said, you are not smart enough. You will never get in. You're not even, your SAT scores aren't even high enough for us to consider sending you an application. Don't even bother. You'll never get accepted to a service academy, let alone be able to make it through the rigorous academic program. Wow. And so, you know, you have these moments in life where you have to pivot. And I thought, well, I'm going to do everything I can. Like how, what, what else can I do? So I joined Civil Air Patrol and uh, I felt again, like a little bit out of place, like didn't really know what I was doing. There were all these other high school kids that have been part of it all of high school. And, and I joined and I show up and they're like, okay, we're going to do community service. You know, we're going to clean this whole area up. And, and they did a lot of their training in a double wide. And I picked up a piece of trash off the ground and it was crumpled up like it was meant to be tossed away and I went to go throw it away and it was an advertisement for Coast Guard's Academy Introduction Mission, which is their version of AIM. I had one day left to apply. <laughs> I, I that's, applied. that's like insane. God, that's amazing. <laughs> I know it is. It is. <laughs> I, had, I had one day left to apply. I got in by the skin of my teeth. I had the best one week sugar coated Coast Guard camp experience. Um, I thought all my eggs in one basket. I'm going to the Coast Guard Academy. I loved the missions. I applied early acceptance, December 16th, 2002. Small envelope came, not a big envelope. I got waitlisted every month, January through April. 
I sent extra recommendation letters so that they wouldn't forget about me. Come April, I didn't get in. I was devastated. I had to mentally wrap my head around a backup plan. And I did not have one. I put all my eggs in one basket. I did not have a good backup plan. Um, so Ms. Batisto helped me find a good, I think she had um, connections at a local school. So I was, I was going to go to this, uh, a local college and, you know, I was, I, I think I put a down deposit, a uh, down payment uh, deposit down on housing. Mentally, I was, I was trying to pivot about dealing with feeling like a failure and not being able to accomplish my dreams and what I was going to do. I think it was either the end of April or beginning of May and the deadline to accept um, your academy uh, admissions offer had passed and something happened to the person above me on like somebody dropped out either for medical reasons or, or backed out and decided not to do it. And a Coast Guard officer called my mom and said, Jess is the next one on the list. You know, she has to be at boot camp and it by the, I think it was June 30th, um, summer 2003. And, and she calls me at school, you know, Miss Herman, the guidance counselor at the time says, you, you've got a phone call. And I go into the guidance counselor office and my mom tells me, and I had just spent a few weeks mentally wrapping my head around this big life pivot and I said well I'm not going and because I just got so emotionally invested in trying not to be a failure so I I was now invested in this new life path and my mom knew it was my lifelong dream to go and that this is what I wanted to do and she was beside herself upset and I hung up and you know, Mrs. Batista, Ms. Herman asked me what happened and I told them and my mom talked to both of them and they said, don't worry, Mrs. Azar, we got this. And Mrs. Herman and Ms. Batista sat me down and they were like, Jess, you're just having this, you know, emotional reaction, which is understandable because it's such a roller coaster ride, but you will regret it for the rest of your life if you don't go. You need to do this. You can do this. This is what you were meant to do. And and then I I accepted and I went but like that moment for me like they made it a priority to positively impact and change my life and look out for me it was such a pivotal moment I there's no way I could ever express enough gratitude for how much they both did and how much power a teacher and a, a guidance counselor has um that they just looked out for me and and changed my life and I, and Coach Herman, um, at the time Mrs. Herman's husband was the uh, track uh, throwing coach. I was a thrower on on the track and field team. Um, he mentored me and looked out for me too. And then I would say something that was kind of um, another really great experience is when I went to boot boot camp. So a month after high school graduation, I had a two month boot camp, which was so difficult. Um, mentally, mentally challenging. And years later in one of my moves, because we I, I move every two to three years um, because of getting transferred in different places. And years later, I was going through all my boot camp letters that I got. And Mrs. Lane was an English teacher. And she sent me these most wonderful letters while I was at boot camp that I just went through and I looked and, I, you know, I, I got so many letters while I was at boot camp by so many people that were such a support system to me. But, you know, Mrs. Lane's letters really stood out like, wow, somebody spent their summer writing to me just so I wouldn't quit. And uh, so I reached back out to her a couple of years ago. Now we're pen pals. Um, but it, it's just kind of I love neat. Mrs. Lane. Yes. Jane Lane is the best. <laughs> How wonderful. So um, I, I wasn't necessarily a great you know, English student, but, but um, it was really nice to, to reconnect with her and to, you know, know that I made it because of people like that, because of that support system. Wow. Those are some really inspiring stories. And it just goes to show <laughs> how truly much like everyone here is cared for by the oh, people yeah. around them and, and how much they can really have an impact on yeah. your life. A hundred percent. And it's absolutely amazing just to have that support system and especially for people who support your passions and everyone saw how dedicated you were towards your goals. And when you almost gave up, you 
just they pushed you forward and yeah. now you are where you are and Absolutely. um with all your experience and everything so looking back at your senior year your quote was we cannot become who we need to be by remaining who we are I love you <laughs> you still feel like this applies to you now yes I I very much feel like you should take opportunities to do things that make you nervous or that scare you. Um, because if you stay in a uh, safe zone, how are you going to grow? How are you going to experience and, and become better? Um, so public speaking is something that's always made me pretty nervous. And so I joined, I think today it's, it's like school and debate. It was something else when I went to GMA, but Forensics. I joined next. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. what it was. Um, and um, that was like, you know, made me so nervous. I'm like, why am I doing this? I'm, I should be doing a club, you know, that's fun and, and makes me happy, but it really helped make me better, um, a better public speaker. And that's a skill that so many people struggle with. Um, and, and a lot of people have to have good public speaking skills in the Coast Guard and some of the jobs I've had to do, whether you're briefing senior officers on really extensive, complicated cases, or you're making recommendations that you know are going to have a positive impact, but you have to sell it. Um, there's so many times giving presentations to admirals, lots of senior officers, uh, where, um, you know, doing that stuff in high school that made me nervous and, and ingraining in myself oh, this makes me nervous. I need to volunteer. You know, we, we, uh, when you're a junior officer, you get these opportunities where they, you know, they email out all the junior officers and they say, great opportunity for your next evaluation. We, we got a speaker request to, you know, the local, um, you know, the local veterans, you know, want, want to get a PowerPoint presentation about the Coast Guard. And, you know, I'd always volunteer for those because I knew it would make me a little bit less nervous the more and more I did it. So, um, I think the staying where you are part of that quote, like you need to, to go out, do things that make you nervous, do things that, you know, kind of light a fire under you, excuse me, light a fire under you and, 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 you know, make you learn and grow and experience. And what was the process of joining the Coast Guard like? So joining the Coast Guard and like enlisting in the Coast Guard is very different than trying to go to the Coast Guard Academy. And one is not necessarily better than the other. They're just different. So if you wanted to enlist in the Coast Guard, the Coast Guard has recruiting offices, just like any of the other services. And you go through um, an entrance uh, examination process. Um, and and then you go to boot camp and then you're enlisted. And then once you're enlisted, you can have a great career as an enlisted member, or you can eventually go to officer candidate school and become an officer that way. And officer candidate school is about four months long. Going to the Coast Guard Academy is uh, just like what you hear about going to the other service academies. The Coast Guard Academy is the only one, um, at least when I went, you didn't need a congressional uh, recommendation. Uh, but it's very rigorous. It's very, um, very hard to get accepted into. So I knew early on I wanted to go to a service academy. So I, I basically spent all of high school trying to have a resume that would help get me into a service academy. Um, so, you know, figuring out what your weaknesses are, like if you know what your weaknesses are, being able to um, pad them with your or, or fill those weaknesses and those gaps with things that you're good at or things that'll help set you apart um but the the actual process of getting in you, you have to interview uh, a super extensive application process um and then to actually go you have a two-month boot camp at the beginning and then it's a four-year uh military training and academic program um which was really intense. So, Wow, that sounds like a lot. Um, <laughs> what does a day in your life look like now? So now I, I've had a really unique opportunity where the Coast Guard has sponsored me to go to grad school. Um, and then I'm, I'm getting ready to transfer to Washington, D.C., where I'm going to be in charge of domestic policy for the Coast Guard Missions uh, Marine Environmental Response Mission. So 
they sponsored me to be in grad school for the last two years for environmental science and policy. Um, so they've basically paid my full salary. I've had all my benefits. I've gotten to keep adding time towards retirement, but I've just been a student. So it's been really nice because I missed out on a lot of time as wife and mom uh, before this opportunity. So I've gotten to not only advance my education, but uh, spend time making up for lost time as, as wife and mom. So um, I'd say a day in the life of, of me as executive officer at the Gulf Strike Team is probably a better, that was my last unit, that's probably a better representation. And what that looked like was you know, waking up at five, having coffee, um, getting ready, leaving for work. On the days that I didn't have to be to work early, I would um, be the one to drop my kids off at school because I knew I was going to be working late. That way I'd have a little bit of time with them in the morning. Uh, but if not, I would try and get to work early. Um, the best time to check and work on my emails and my personal list was outside normal working hours because normal working hours are when you have that many people working for you. Um, that's when everyone else needs something. And I mean that in a good way. Like my job was to look out for the crew. That was my primary job. So I wanted to dedicate that time during the day to make sure that I was looking out for them and I was there for their needs. So um, working on emails and my to-do list before the workday started, having a full workday, uh, let's say it was probably 8 a.m. Um, a lot of the, the guys and gals would work out in the morning. Um, so uh, things would really start to kick off around eight. Um, I would try and work out at lunch. That way I wouldn't have to worry about taking time away from the family working out after the workday. Um, and then uh, work all afternoon um, and then everyone would leave <laughs> and I would try and work on emails and the taskers and the things that came up during the day um, between like four and five. And then I would try and be home for dinner. Um, but with that kind of unit, it was known as a deployable specialized force, and we deployed all the time. So most of the teams under me would deploy, and then I would help manage it um, from the home unit. But on really big cases, I would have to deploy. So those deployment calls, you know, nothing bad ever really happens on a Monday morning at 8 a.m. It happens at midnight or it happens right. at Friday at five or, you know, Saturday, the middle of the night, that was the uh, Saturday middle of the night was the, the Golden Ray phone call, which was one of the biggest cases we had deployed to. But um, so lots of phone calls at all hours of the night, lots of disaster related phone calls, because that's what we did. We deployed to help um, with hurricanes, both the uh, catastrophic incident search and rescue um, during and immediately after a hurricane. Um, as well as the environmental cleanup stuff. Uh, we did a lot of oil and hazmat cleanup after major hurricanes. Um, so you would go home and, you know, you, you'd get a call in the middle of the night, you know, some big disaster happened. We want to send the Gulf Strike team to help clean up or, you know, there's a hazmat case. We need your help. The EPA needs your help. Um, so those calls came at all hours, um, weekends, nights, things like that. So you're, it's one of those jobs where 365 days a year, you're kind of always on tap to be working. Absolutely. That seems, I mean, it's such an important job, um, but really overwhelming. I mean, you're managing dozens of people and then you're potentially getting, you know, woken up in the middle of the night to, you know, big hurricanes, you know, crazy environmental um threats and emergencies. How did you manage to, I mean, I'm sure you get overwhelmed, but like, <laughs> yes. how do you, how do you handle it and, and make sure you, you know, you're a health, I mean, you're a mom, you're a wife and you're a, you know, a manager and an employee. Like, how do you, how do you balance it? Yeah, it's a lot. And I would say I, I didn't do a great job balancing it early on in my career. And, um, my career goals have shifted multiple times where, you know, when I was younger, I was, I want to do whatever I can be the best I can be. I want to be the best Coast Guard officer I can be. And I'm going to put, you know, dive headfirst into that. But then I would neglect my responsibilities 
to my marriage and as being a mom and, and those really important parts of my life would suffer. And so it's, it was trying to find this balance of how I could still be a good Coast Guard officer, but also a good mom and a good wife. And so I had to bring the whole family into some of that decision-making about, okay, what's mom do next? Where do we go next? You know, what's good for the family next, not just what's good for my career. Um, and that really helped me balance that give and take so that I could kind of do it all. Um, finding a really good support system. I am so lucky I have the best partner in life. Um, he has sacrificed so much to have my back. Um, my kids, all three kids have sacrificed so much to make this all work. So that support system, surrounding yourself with good people, having a good support system, not being afraid to ask for help, um, that, that all uh, helped me. And then not being afraid to work on your own mental health. Um, I've, I'm a huge proponent of therapy. I've been in and out of therapy my entire adult life. Um, that has helped me so much throughout the years. Um, finding something to do for yourself, like for your own time so that you can mentally recoup, um, you know, do it. You don't do something that like you don't have to stay busy or accomplish things at all times all you know and and that that was a huge problem for me is I'd always I still always have a list but you know the list never gets done it's you're always going to have something on your list I've had probably a never-ending list of things to do and accomplish since I was in high school um, <laughs> yeah. you know I've, I've never not had a list but you know sometimes I do jigsaw puzzles I know that's weird but like a way to like mentally like just not do anything but think about where the puzzle piece goes it, I don't need my phone I don't need any tech I it just I just sit there and I do a jigsaw puzzle and it helps me forget like all of the crazy things that I have to do or I should be doing or I should be working on so that finding something to kind of like get your mind go get a pedicure read a book like something to just kind of mentally unwind uh has been really important for me that's so funny. Are you interviewing Jigsaw Club? We have a Jigsaw Puzzle oh, Club cool. here. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So next time you're in the area, come on by and, and yes. visit Jigsaw Puzzle Club. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. That's so um, cool. And so you mentioned too that you are a student again, which yeah. um, I, so I'm actually going to grad school in the fall too, oh, and cool. I'll, I'll still be at Gwynedd, but like I'm, I'm already having like dreams about not being able to find my class, but my classroom, <laughs> like my grad school classroom is Miss Wilson's theology class in oh. my dream. Um, <laughs> so it's terrifying, but um, so I can only imagine what it's like. So I mean, I will know in August, but um, what it's like to be a, a student again, but I'm sure that that has provided a little bit of relief and, and yes. as you mentioned, time to spend with your family, but like ultimately, you know, what inspired you to go back to school? And then what do you hope comes out of that once you finish? Yes. So I'm very lucky um, to have been provided this opportunity. And it's actually, I'm, I'm lucky enough to say as well, it's my second master's. I got my first master's from Penn State in Homeland Security and Public Health Preparedness. Um, and that was a great program and very rewarding. There was a lot of uh, disaster and emergency management part of that. And I actually took a class on, on epidemiology and, you know, my brain is not oriented for, for math and science, but to have that class and then, you know, fast forward to COVID was, you know, so weird that, that we all experienced that pandemic. Um, so that, that master's program was very rewarding and really helped with the disaster and emergency management part of my job. Uh, my current master's, um, actually, that I just graduated from, environmental science and policy, I absolutely love the environmental disaster response part of what I've gotten to do in my career. And, you know, I, I remember being really junior and thinking, you know, all these other people talk about like doors opening for them and and getting opportunities and like when a door opens for you, walk through it. And I'm like, I'm not getting any doors. Where are the doors? You know, I'm where are these opportunities? And, you know, people would find their little expertise. And I remember thinking like, oh, I, 
I'm so tired and overwhelmed of being a jack of all trades. Like I want to find my world, my people. And, you know, doors were opening and I just wasn't realizing it. And I mm -hmm. was, you know, lucky enough to walk through some really good doors that opened up great pathways for me. Um, and, you know, not necessarily realizing it at the time. And then, uh, so the, the environmental disaster part of what I've gotten to do over the last seven, eight years has been such a cool, rewarding uh, part of my career. And it just kind of clicked. I was like, oh, okay, this is what I was meant to do. This is, this is my thing. And so getting to go to school for that was, was really neat. And now being able to take my operational experiences from responding to environmental disasters and then taking the advanced education and marrying those two and helping to implement a uh, policy domestically for the entire Coast Guard uh, is, is going to be my next job. So I, I believe that will be super rewarding as well. Yeah, definitely. It's wonderful that you have a passion for Earth and you get to incorporate it in multiple aspects of your life. And you've done way more than that. You've worked in so many roles, ranging from law enforcement to collaborating with the Federal Space Program. Yes. What is your most memorable role that you have um, done? And have, do you have any fun stories? Yes. So i so fortunate. I've gotten to do some great stuff. And some of it was really overwhelming at the time. Like my first deployment was Deepwater Horizon. Like really overwhelming first deployment, um, but so cool to be able to look back on my career and, and see that, wow, you know, my first deployment in my Coast Guard career was one of our nation's biggest environmental disasters ever. Like I got to be a little tiny, 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 you know, tiny, tiny, tiny piece <laughs> of that. Um, and you know, I've gotten so many great deployment opportunities uh, since then where I've really learned a lot. The federal space uh, program, that was such a cool part to, to, to work with. I was stationed in uh, Jacksonville at the time, and I was just getting into the incident management disaster response, pollution response world. And the Coast Guard relationship with the space program used to be really strong until the sh shuttle program ended, excuse me, shuttle program ended in 2011. Um, and then fast forward to 2015, 2016 timeframe, um, I may be messing that year up, but the cruise resupply uh, mission exploded and there was a bunch of floating debris and hazardous materials in the water. And there were quite a few press releases being made at the time. From what I understand, this was just before I got to Sector Jacksonville. Um, was you know there's a lot of hazardous debris in, in floating in the water. If if you see it, don't go near it. It's dangerous. You know, and the, these press releases were being made for boating public safety, and so the Coast Guard was basically like, well, you know, what are you guys talking about? This is something we should be involved with and help with, um, because it's a federal waterway right off of Cape Canaveral. You know, so. Uh, the Coast Guard started to re-engage with all the space partners and, and kind of get the, their foot in the door to help modernize what the Coast Guard uh, relationship and support missions would look like for the space program. So I got to be in the Emergency Operations Center at Kennedy Space Center and the 45th uh, Space Air Wing for every launch over the course of like a year and a half wow. and I was the, the the joke is you you went around the table and said you know ready for launch working no issues ready for launch working no issues ready for launch they would all joke you know once once you say ready to launch and it launches it you know they would all joke 68 seconds till it's off the beach and then it's the coast guard's problem you know so <laughs> the, I was the little guy in the corner you know who if it exploded and it impacted the the federal waters off of cape canaveral then the coast guard would kick into high gear and respond to it from a management of a federal uh pollution and hazmat problem in the waterways so um, and from a, a disaster management perspective as well. So such a cool experience. I got to be in the emergency operations center for uh, when SpaceX launched the first Falcon Heavy with the Tesla as the cargo and Spaceman or whatever it was called. So it was very cool to be part of the first Falcon Heavy launch. Um, I loved working with all the space partners and, uh, you know, just being a 
again, tiny, tiny, tiny piece of something so big. Um, it was really cool. But I've gotten to experience a lot of really great cases. Um, the Golden Ray was a car carrier that capsized off the coast of Georgia, had about 4,000 cars on board. It had four engineers stuck in the engine room. So the Coast Guard worked with a bunch of um, the other contractors and salvers and, and, and other people on site, but those four people were rescued. And then it was about a two year long uh, pollution cleanup and salvage case. And that was, that was insane. I got to be the Coast Guard operations section chief during the emergency phase, and then the deputy incident commander, commander for the Coast Guard during the salvage phase. So I was, I was crazy, great learning experience. Wow. And I'm sure you faced many challenges through your career. So what is one of those challenges and how did you overcome it? So I'd say some of the biggest challenges um, has to do with running search and rescue cases and the loss of life when they go wrong. That's really tough. Um, you get so invested and so involved in running every step of a case and, and you put your all into hoping that you're going to bring everyone home and that you're going to save everyone. And again, just a small piece of a long line of help. You know, there's the, the coasties that go out in the small boats or that go out in the helicopters, um, the ones that fuel those boats and helicopters so that they can operate. Uh, you know, I was sitting in a command center operating um, a GIS program, putting in the details to help come up with um, search and rescue patterns. And then eventually I would be, I was also the command duty officer where, you know, there are multiple watch standers in the command center who are getting all these little details of cases. And then you're ultimate, ultimately making management decisions. And then you're calling the chain of command and getting approval for how these search and rescue cases are run. And then eventually I became a search and rescue mission coordinator. So I was the one getting those phone calls and I was the decision maker saying, yes, bring the boat home or, you know, yes, send the helicopter out. So some those those cases where you're getting a phone call and it's literally someone's life on the line. And I remember so many of the cases, especially when it involves kids, when it's a sad ending. You know, the four-year-old autistic boy that wandered away from his grandparents in Lake Erie, you know, the eight-year-old boy that went swimming, you know, off the coast of Jacksonville with his sister and they both got swept out and she was rescued, but he wasn't. The 21-year-old girl that drove off a bridge and wasn't wearing a seatbelt. Like there's so many stories that will stay with me for the rest of my life and just are traumatic because something bad happened and, and you couldn't help have a happy ending. There were also so many cases that go really well. So it's very rewarding. But a lot of people, I think, struggle. Um, I did with the cases that go wrong. And it's so stressful. And I remember being a SAR mission coordinator. And I was picking my kids up from aftercare. And they were little. They're like three and four, four and five, maybe. And I picked them up from aftercare. And they're in the back seat of my car and I'm I'm getting a search and rescue call. Somebody's missing. I have to make a decision about where to send what assets and for how long. And my kids were in the back seat bickering and I lit them up. I it's like I hate remembering it because I felt like such a bad parent, but like I screamed at them like in a way that just they both started crying. And I'm like, that sucks because I, I was such a bad parent move you know I could have you know so those those moments where it's so stressful and it's so hard to deal with the stress and you know people always say put your family first put, put your family first but in a situation where it's like somebody's life is on the line right. and I and someone make, else's family like you yeah. know it's, it's really stressful that's a lot oh of responsibility gosh. on your shoulders so stressful so you know those moments are are really tough I'd say the other part that's been tough is the, the hard parts of leadership to learn. And there's no, I feel like no one really talks about the hard parts of leadership. Everyone talks about like 
this is what you have to do to look out for your people, which is so important. Um, and this is what you have to do to be a good leader. And this is and this is how you should be to motivate people and to get the job done. But nobody talks about accountability, like holding people accountable when you have people working for you is very difficult to do correctly and in a way that is uh, successful, both for you as the leader and the person you're holding accountable. And I think Steve Jobs said, if you want to make people happy, don't be a leader, sell ice cream. And there's just, I, and I think that's the part of how I struggled in high school was I very much wanted to make everyone happy. And what I had to learn after the Coast Guard Academy, and once I received my commission and started having people report to me, is that there's not a way to be a leader and make everybody happy. Um, because you're a leader, because you have to make sure that one, people are looked out for, that the mission's getting completed, that it's getting completed well, um, that all the people that you're sending out, that they're coming home. Um, and that sometimes when someone's not doing their job or they're, they don't have the core values embedded, um, then they're detracting from the health and safety of the rest of the team and the mission getting accomplished. And then you have to hold that person accountable. And that is also really stressful, um, really, really stressful. So that was a huge thing to learn was holding people accountable and not shying away from it, you know, like ripping the bandaid off, diving in, knowing you're going to have confrontational moments um, and, and, and practice, not being afraid to do it. Like, yeah, tough, but so important to learn if you want to be a leader. Yeah, it's definitely an important task. Um, so you've accomplished many things throughout your career. And what is one accomplishment that you are the most proud of? So the one I'm the most proud of is being a mom, a wife, and a commander in the Coast Guard. I just got promoted last week to commander. Oh, Congratulations. Thanks. So it was, it was a, a big moment. And uh, I'm so grateful to have gotten here. And so being all those things, um, having it all, doing it all um, was such a huge moment for me. Um, and having a healthy, wonderful family home life um, is definitely, I mean, I, I walk home at the end, I, I walk in the front door at the end of the day, and I've just got the most amazing family, the, you know, best teammate in my, my husband, and, and kids that are just great kids. I just feel very, very fortunate. So my family, the best thing I have going on in my life. Um, but I'm, I'm grateful to have made a uh, commander and, and that recent promotion as well. That's fabulous. Okay. So moving on to like some more things that you're looking forward to in your career. Mm -hmm. Um, what is something that's on your bucket list that you hope to do soon? Oh, okay. Bucket list. So I really took the opportunity these past two years while I was a grad school student um, to do a lot of bucket list items. And one was uh, my husband and I ran a marathon together in January. Wow. So that's something I was never a runner in high school. Um, and so running a, a marathon and, and I've done a couple, but it was the first one I, I got to do with my husband. So that was so special. It was it was really a phenomenal experience. Um, and I'd say another bucket list item was this big promotion that I just got. Um, that was like huge personal, you know, milestone. So I got to check that off the bucket list too. I think um, going to uh, DC where Coast Guard headquarters is, um, the next bucket list item is probably trying to figure out how to integrate into that world where there's a ton of senior officers and everyone's under stress or pressure, you know, um, it, there's just so, you know, politics, red tape, bureaucracy. So it's going to be a little bit of a different world compared to, you know, I'm used to operating at the operational field level. Um, so I'm excited for the challenge and I hope it goes well, but that's integrating into that world is probably the next milestone goal and uh, settling my family into uh, Maryland, which we're, we're really excited about. So those are the, awesome. the things on the, the list. When do you move? 
we move uh, May 27th, we head north. The kids okay. are out of school on May 26th. So we head north on the wow. 27th. <laughs> yeah. and, quick, uh, a quick turnaround. Yes. And I start the new gig June 19th. Um, so yeah, ho- hopefully it goes well. I'm excited. We're all really, we love Florida, but we're excited to head north for a change. And, uh, and to, that we found this great little coastal community in Maryland called Chesapeake Beach, and it's right on the bay. And so at least the family will feel like they're in Florida for two months out of the year. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we're, we're so excited though. And then I'd say the long, the long-term bucket list item is one day I want to travel. You know, I, I got to travel for the Coast Guard, um, but I, I kind of jumped into living life head first. You know, I went to the academy, which probably has more similarities to prison than a regular college. And, um, and then, you know, I just jumped into my career. Um, so, and, and I had a family young, so not a whole lot of personal travel. So I think I'm excited to do that later in life. That's awesome. Well, yeah, congratulations on this next chapter. That is going to be really exciting. Um, look forward to seeing what you get up to. Um, and you know, we have, we actually have a lot of students here at Gwynedd who are interested in going to service academies. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been really cool to see more and more students get interested in that. Um, for anybody who might be listening, um, who's interested in, um, entering the Coast Guard or another, you know, part of the military, like what would your advice be for them? Oh, there, my advice would be keep putting one foot in front of the other. Um, you know, if you look at this big mountain, you have to climb a four year service academy uh, experience. If you look at it in its totality, it looks like one huge mountain. How am I going to do it? How am I going to get over? How am I going to get across the finish line, especially when it is built to challenge you? every step of the way. You have a super rigorous academic program. You have constant military training. Um, you, you know, the first year you have to stay braced up in formation every time you're in a, a the hallway or you're marching to class. Um, you can't just get done with class, walk back to your room and have the rest of the day to do your homework. You're required to do sports and clubs, um, which is a really good thing because it helps you find your people and then you connect with your people and then you look out for each other the whole time. Um, So, and then you have these really crazy homework projects and you have to go to military training at night, but lights have to be out at 10. Um, So, you know, you've got, it's just this crazy um, amount of pressure, again, meant to break you down and build you back up stronger and make you, teach you how to handle stress. Um, So I would say, don't give up, keep putting one step in front of the other. Don't look at the big mountain, just look what's right in front of you and and accomplish it one piece at a time. Um, And definitely, definitely network. Not necessarily for the betterment of your career, which is important later on, but like find your crowd because I would not have survived if I didn't have that crowd. We all had each other's backs and looked out for each other. And I absolutely wouldn't have survived without them. So find your crowd for sure. That's some wonderful advice. And I think it can be applied to anywhere, not just people looking into the Coast Guard. I totally Um, agree. Yeah. So it's great to give advice, especially as someone who's experienced so many um, things. So is there any piece of advice that you would like to give to your younger self? So I wasted a lot of time beating myself up, being my own worst critic, um, worrying. I've wasted so much time throughout my life worrying. And I had an immense amount of confidence issues. So I would probably give my younger self a huge hug, say, take a deep breath, it's all going to work out. You know, there were so many moments where I felt like it wasn't, or I got stuck in my own head because something didn't go right or the way I expected. And I would, you know, kind of go down a bad mental path or just really beat myself up. And, and it all has a way of working out. 
Um, I think for everyone, life has a way of working out. You keep putting one step in front of the other. Um, something life-changing for me that I found out about right after the Coast Guard Academy was um, the secret and the power of positive thinking. Um, and that oh, whole world of thought with the power of positive thinking absolutely changed my life. So I would probably tell myself that my younger version, you know, um, to be more positive and to be kinder to myself. Um, and then the other thing I would tell myself is learn the Dave Ramsey compound interest financial lesson <laughs> because I wish <laughs> somebody had taught me that when I was a teenager. Um, and I try and tell everybody about it now. Great. And you've shared so many great experiences and so much great advice for the students here at Gwinnett. Is there anything else you'd like to share? So I think there are some really good motivational um, talks online, free YouTube. I think everybody has something that they're passionate about or that makes them happy, right? There's probably some sort of leader or motiv motivational speaker in that world that has something out there that can be your like go-to nugget. If you need a pick-me-up or you need motivation, like, you know, I am so grateful that I had such a huge support network and support system. And I know not, not everyone has that, but there's ways that you can look out for yourself, keep yourself motivated, um, keep going, complete your own personal missions. Um, the two for me that, that I go back to and I rewatch a couple times uh, throughout my career. One is um, Admiral McRaven's UT graduation speech. So motivational um, and inspiring. And, you know, if I have a big moment, like, you know, I have to, I know I have something really big coming up and I'm a little bit nervous about it. Like I watch that and I get all pumped up and I'm like, okay, <laughs> I got this, you know. And then the other one is Amy Cuddy's TED Talk. Um, Actually, Master Chief Williamson, shout out to Master Chief Williamson and his two daughters who were Gwinnett girls. Um, oh. He was the reserve Master Chief Petty Officer of the Coast Guard, which is such a huge deal. Um, and way back when, when I was a, a junior officer, a young junior officer, really struggling with my confidence and how to be a good leader um, and, and how to believe in myself. And he told me about this TED talk and I can't tell you how many times I've really struggled in my career and I've rewatched this Amy Cuddy TED talk. And the whole thing is about how don't fake it till you make it, fake it till you become it. And her story and her speech is so inspiring, has taught me so many life lessons every time I watch it and uh, really helped get me on such a good path. Um, and, and really helped me in my career many times. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jessica. It's been so great to chat with you. You've offered so many great pieces of advice um, and, and shared so many wonderful experiences. And thank you for your service. Oh, um, you. You've just done so much for, for our country and our earth, um, which is so impressive. And we really appreciate it. Thank you. It was yeah. so great to be a part of this. I feel like um, one thing with moving every couple of years and and having you know the really overwhelming parts of my career means I haven't been as engaged with the Gwinnett community as I would have liked to in the past. So I'm so grateful for the opportunity to speak with you both, even if you two are the only Gwinnett girls that hear my podcast. <laughs> I'm so um, grateful that I just got to talk to you both and and hang out and and uh you know speak with you and thank you for having an interest in my career and asking all the great questions and all three of you did a great job as as interviewers so oh thank, thank you. you and you did a good job no no uh inappropriate language or anything <laughs> Um, and it's so great that you'll be in Maryland because yes. your reunion is coming up in October yes. oh that's um, right big big uh what is it um 20 years oh I yeah think. Yeah, so, so. <laughs> um, so you'll have to shoot me your new address. So I make sure that okay. you get an invitation. Thank you. Um, and yeah, we'd, we'd love to see you there. Hopefully you can make the weekend. Um, yeah. and, you know, it's October 21st. So, oh, awesome. Um, okay. Yeah, awesome. So we'll see you back at Gwinnett. Yes, thank it's not you too so far. <laughs> and um, hopefully with being closer, I can come help or get more involved. Yeah, we would love to. It's funny. We were just actually talking about you the other day because we have Anna Lal, um, 
who was the president of, yes, um, the, the year of student me. council year before you. Okay. And then um, uh, Andrea Geppert, who was 2005's, okay. yeah, 2005 student council president. And did we have 2004? We were all chatting because those two are on the alumni board. And Anna oh, cool. actually is just finishing her, her term as president of the alumni board. And Andrea is taking over. Oh, and um, awesome. I was like, I'm talking to another former student council president <laughs> on Zoom. So that's it's just awesome. so funny, I'm, uh, you know, how people just keep getting, you know, coming yeah. back into the fold. So it's good to have you um, back in, in involved you. in Gwinnett. So um, we appreciate it. And um, yeah, if we will talk to you soon and hopefully see you in October. Okay. Yes. Thank you so much. It was great yeah. talking to all of you. Yeah. Good luck with the move. Thanks. <laughs> Bye ladies. Bye. Bye.